Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The first day after Title 42 ends, several South Texas counties issue disaster declarations. Our people on the ground bring you the latest from the border communities. Maryland is set to relax its cannabis laws. However, some are pointing out an alleged conflict of interest for the state's governor who signed the bill. We hear from an industry expert. An ex-Marine facing a manslaughter charge after restraining a homeless man in a chokehold on a New York City subway. What are the latest developments and what are people saying about the case? Former NBA star Dwight Howard stumbles into political controversy while filming a seemingly innocent promotional video for Taiwan. And a parade in Manhattan. Falun Dafa practitioners are celebrating the 31st anniversary of their practice. Find out more about this spiritual discipline. Today's the first day since Title 42 has ended and we have plenty of updates from the border for you. First, illegal immigrants are now required to be issued a court date. A federal judge in Florida made the ruling late last night. It means that the Biden administration has to stop one of its most controversial border practices. That's letting illegal immigrants out on parole without court notices. The federal government says this is needed to reduce the strain on border facilities, which only grew this week with the anticipation of the end of Title 42. But the judge says the policy is illegal because it doesn't guarantee that the illegal immigrants go through the legally required processing. If this sounds familiar, that's because this same judge struck down a similar policy by the Biden administration in March. This current block is only temporary and will expire in 14 days when a hearing is scheduled for the case. The Biden administration is expected to appeal. And many are wondering what the situation is actually like at the border. NTD's Jason Perry is on the ground in El Paso, Texas. Jason, can you tell us what you've seen so far? Hello, Steph. I'm here in El Paso, Texas, next to gate number 42. And as far as I can see, I can't really see any illegal immigrants now. But if you take a look at this video, there was a large group of immigrants who turned themselves in earlier today. As of Friday afternoon, about 23,400 immigrants were in Border Patrol custody, which is slightly lower than earlier in the week, according to a Homeland Security official. Many of those who turn themselves in here at El Paso go to Sacred Heart Church before they move on to their final destinations. We visited there earlier today and I talked with a volunteer at the church. A real mess. A lot of, well, you know, immigrants everywhere. We couldn't get in here or anything. It was awful. Because it was all, well, it was real sad to see them here. Because they didn't have anywhere to go. They were trying to, you know, and the mayor of El Paso says although he didn't see any big numbers of illegal immigrants coming through El Paso on Friday, he's actually preparing for the unknown. Because we don't know what's going to happen next week and continue to happen day in and day out. We, um, we are continuing to work really close with the Border Patrol. We're continuing to work really close with Customs and Protection, ICE, and all organizations in El Paso. We've... Uh, we actually have had a very smooth transition as Title 42 has lapsed and we've gone to Title 8. Uh, and that really because we had a lot of preparation. We were ready. We were prepared. 
But on the other hand, tens of thousands of migrants are gathered in northern Mexico and will likely be making their way to America's southern border soon. And two South Texas counties on the Mexican border declared emergencies shortly before Title 42 was lifted. That can free up state and federal resources to help them deal with the surge of illegal immigration. And the flow of illegal immigration may not be as smooth as expected. On Thursday night, a federal judge temporarily blocked the Biden administration from releasing illegal immigrants from the Border Patrol without court notices. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas says that could cause overcrowding at the processing facilities. That's all we have for now. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Jason. And more on the ground coverage of the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border, the Epic Times' Yanya Kellick, host of American Thought Leaders, spoke to Todd Benzman, who was at the border in Texas today also. Here's what he told us he saw there. Thousands and thousands of Venezuelans, I've been recording them all week, just pouring over the Rio Grande and into the Brownsville, Texas area uh, with, with no resistance or opposition whatsoever. They were being just simply processed in, climbing over the razor wire. This sector of the border was probably the hottest of the red hot zones. Governor Greg Abbott responded uh, with a lot of anger uh, that his Texas DPS and National Guard we're not actually down there on that razor wire defending it at the river's edge. And so he immediately ordered a very unusual operation about 48 hours ago and has had his Texas uh, troopers and a special uh, tactical unit of the National Guard deployed to be on that razor wire day and night. And as the immigrants would cross over, this time they ran face first into that cordon. They would not move. They would not let them up the bank. They would not let them through the wire. As the migrants would try to drift down the laterally down the razor wire to look for an opening, the guard and the troopers would just follow them all the way down. It didn't matter how far they went. They were not crossing. Uh, group after group after group slammed itself. Uh, for 48 hours against this Texas cordon and ultimately were forced to turn around and swim back to Mexico. Uh, in the two and a half years that I have been watching this uh, and recording and documenting this mass migration, I have never seen immigrants turned away. Uh, they are always red carpeted right in. Uh, but in this case, it took the Texas state government to shut this thing down. You can catch the full interview with Todd Benzman at its premiere on Epic TV at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. It's on American Thought Leaders, now at epictv.com. And for analysis of Texas's border strategy, as well as yesterday's ruling that blocks the Biden admin from releasing illegal immigrants without court dates, I spoke with the Department of Homeland Security's former acting Deputy Secretary, Ken Cuccinelli. We start with a look at who's showing up at the crossings. Ken Cuccinelli, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on. Good to be with you. Now, I want to look at the demographic of the people coming across the border at the moment. We're seeing an apparent shift in the demographic. We're seeing proportionally more single young men. So uh, the reports I'm getting on the ground are the same as what you describe. 
Um, in the El Paso area, I was getting descriptions of upwards of 90% military age men, by which we mean around 16 to 25 and fit um, and coming in on their own. And we're also seeing a shift in terms recently in terms of where these people are coming from. Some from China and many other countries around the world, not just nearby countries. Well, certainly there's a difference when you think about strategic danger of China or Russia, Iran, any of the Islamic terrorist organizations that may want to utilize our open borders to infiltrate. And of course, the Godaways in the Biden administration are an enormous number by themselves with an unquantifiable risk to our national security. And that's only getting worse with taking down Title 42. We also had a judge just yesterday rule that the government may no longer parole illegal immigrants who um, have come in. What's your response to that? That's just for two weeks, I believe. It, well, it was a temporary restraining order, so those are by nature short, and now the government has to make its case. And the judge, in really unusually furious terms, um, agreed with Florida that this was a brazen, naked violation of his court order and ordered the government not to release folks without court dates and so forth. And I would note for your viewers, the law says shall detain people who cross the border illegally. Now, needless to say, with the numbers you're seeing, where would we detain them? And the answer is um, we don't have enough facilities, and so you'd have to stop them at the border, which there are actually signs now that Texas is starting to do in a few spots. Is that a method that you think could work all along the border, or how do you see this working if it does if it did happen. So if it happened in between the ports of entry across the border, yes, it would t completely change the calculus. Again, for your viewers, the, the critical consideration for someone contemplating coming to this country illegally is, do I think I can get in? Not what are the odds, but what do I believe the odds are? If they believe they will get in, they will come. If they believe they will not get in, far fewer will come, far fewer. So if Texas closes the Texas border, as they may legally do, um, that will completely gum up the works, if you will, for the coyotes and the human traffickers. Yes, some of them will shift west to New Mexico, Arizona, and California, but that's a harder path. That's why they're coming into Texas now. And if it is harder, less people will come. So that would make a big difference. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Ken Cuccinelli, great to speak with you. Good to be with you. Maryland is set to relax its cannabis laws, but the state's governor has a major conflict of interest. NTD's Ariane Pazdar explores that and a study showing a link between cannabis and schizophrenia. In July, possessing 1.5 ounces of cannabis will become legal in Maryland. This comes after Governor Wes Moore signed the bill into law. However, it's been revealed that Governor Moore personally invests almost half of all his assets in cannabis stock. To explore this issue and more, I spoke with Ben Court, an addiction treatment specialist and author of the book Weed Inc. The Truth About the Pot Lobby. Possessing 1.5 ounces of cannabis will be legal in Maryland. Meanwhile, the state's governor is invested in the cannabis industry. Do you see any conflict of interest here? Significant conflict of interest. This is a commercialization question, not a decriminalization question. And if you have the chief lawmaker in the state 
owning a portion of the the business they are regulating that is corrupt at its core. It's a definition of corruption. The governor's assets are in a blind trust, so he's not supposed to be able to see the holdings. Moore's office commented saying the blind trust can ensure the governor is removed from even the appearance of potential conflict of interest. Also this month, a major UK government-funded study found that cannabis might be behind 30% of all schizophrenia cases in young men. The study's authors said that limiting cannabis use could prevent approximately 15% of recent cases of schizophrenia among all males and 4% among females. They conclude that the results highlight the importance of policy decisions regarding cannabis use and access. Percent of all the schizophrenia cases in young men how do you think should lawmakers react to these findings? Well, I think they should read these studies first, but we have known for a significant amount of time that these high potency THC products are causing severe mental illness. Um, but when you go to explain this to lawmakers, all they want to do is figure out the next donation they can get from the cannabis lobby. Court says the solution would be to ban modern high potency THC products. Marijuana collected from the plant used to contain around 15% of THC. Modern products such as edibles and oils can contain over 90% of THC. Concentrates are to cannabis what crack is to coca and what heroin is to poppies. It is not a plant. He added that a THC cap on cannabis products would be a good first step in the right direction. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. And in New York City, a U.S. Marine veteran who was shown on video restraining an unruly subway passenger in a chokehold is now facing a manslaughter charge. NTD Sam Wong has the latest. And a quick warning, some viewers may find the footage in this report disturbing. The man wearing the tan jacket is identified as 24-year-old Daniel Penny. He was arraigned and charged in a Manhattan courtroom on Friday in connection with the death of 30-year-old homeless man Jordan Neely. Neely, who had a history of mental illness, claimed that he was hungry and began to threaten passengers on a New York City subway until Penny approached him from behind and locked him in a chokehold for several minutes. Neely was later declared dead. Penny is facing a felony charge of second-degree manslaughter, which can lead to a maximum of 15 years behind bars if he's convicted. However, he pleaded not guilty, and he will return to court on July 17th. Penny's legal team claimed that he never intended to harm Neely and could not have foreseen his untimely death. The attorney representing Penny is Thomas Kenneth, who ran against Alvin Bragg for New York City District Attorney back in 2021. Neely's death sparked outrage in the city. But we need accountability, and that comes from the mayor and the governor, because his death is on their hands for legitimizing that type of murder. Mayor Eric Adams also issued a response to the tragic incident, saying that Neely did not deserve to die. This has been a week of strong emotions in our city. One of our own is dead. A black man, black like me. A man named Jordan. The name I gave my son. So what do people in New York City make of this case? I spoke with some folks walking by. I think you can't see a person, whatever their behavior is, and be judge and jury and executioner, which is what he was. I think we all suffer from trauma. Every moment is another opportunity to live a better life and try to see everything from each perspective because you never know what someone's going through at that point in time, which causes the decision that is made. People 
aren't going to hesitate approaching anybody who's acting strange. But I feel bad for Jordan Neely, you know, his family. But. The subway choco incident raises concern about homelessness and mental health issues in the United States. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. Across the world in Taiwan, a popular NBA player made a seemingly harmless video promoting the island, only to put himself in political hot water. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Former NBA star Dwight Howard, who now plays professional ball in Taiwan, drew the wrath this morning of users on Weibo, which is China's Twitter-like equivalent for referring to Taiwan as a country in a promotional video for the island. Okay, here we go, right? Oh, hello everyone, I'm Dwight Howard, and since I came to Taiwan, I've gained a whole new appreciation of this country. The hashtag Howard Taiwan Independence was a top trending topic on Weibo Friday morning, with users demanding an apology for Howard's support of Taiwan's independence. China's Communist Party claims Taiwan is its own territory, despite never having controlled it. Meanwhile, Taiwan has their own military, currency, and elected government. Amid the furor, Howard apologized, telling Taiwanese reporters that his use of the word country doesn't necessarily mean that it's a country, adding, quote, that's just how we talk. One person who didn't apologize for recognizing Taiwan was Congressman Michael McCall, who recalled to NTD the time he led a delegation there. McCall, though, said before leaving, he received a threatening email from the CCP warning him not to go, but he still went. Once I landed on the island, uh, I got briefings from our military that they were starting to surround the island with an armada of battleships, and they were trying to intimidate me, but we're not going to let them intimidate us. And then uh, finally, you know, I was advised that I had been sanctioned by the Chinese Communist Party uh, as I left you know, the country. But I had every right to visit President Tsai under the Taiwan Relations Act, um, and quite frankly, I view it as a badge of honor. Under the U.S.'s one-China policy, Washington acknowledges Beijing's position that Taiwan is part of China, but has never recognized their actual claim of sovereignty over it. Dave Martin, NTD News. And finance leaders from some of the world's richest nations are meeting in this week in Japan. One focus of the talks is how to counter and cut reliance on China. NTD's Faye Quarter has those details. G7 finance leaders continued their three-day talks on Friday in Japan. China was much on the minds of the G7 group, with current chair Japan leading fresh efforts to diversify supply chains and reduce their heavy reliance on Beijing. Japan has been working to launch partnerships with low- and middle-income countries through investment and aid. One key area of concern for all G7 countries is the heavy concentration in China of rare earth element supplies. These materials are used in a wide range of high-tech products. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has called for targeted controls on investments to China. This is to counter what she has called Beijing's economic coercion against other countries. Asked what's meant by economic coercion, Yellen cited Beijing's trade actions against Australia as an example. Germany and Japan, however, expressed caution at the idea of investment controls. British Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt also said the G7 must counter China's economic coercion, though he made no mention of investment controls. 
The leaders also discussed ways to support Ukraine and enforce sanctions on Russia. Faye Quarter, NTD News. The three-day finance leaders meeting ends tomorrow and the G7 heads of state are set to meet next week. And coming up, a parade in Manhattan. Fallen Dafa practitioners are celebrating the 31st anniversary of the spiritual practice's introduction to the public. Find out more about this spiritual discipline. Learn more about Twitter's next CEO and what plans Elon Musk has for the platform with her at the helm. Today in Manhattan, hundreds of adherents of Falun Dafa celebrated the anniversary of the spiritual practice's introduction to the public. NTD's Arlene Richards has more details. It's been 31 years since the practice of Falun Dafa was first introduced to the public. Practitioners in Manhattan celebrate with a marching band, floats, and a parade through the city. And what a grand parade it was. The celebration kicked off with the beat of the drums from the Tian Guo marching band and a heartwarming tune that sings Falun Dafa is good. Falun Dafa, also known as Falun Gong, was first introduced to the public on May 13, 1992, in China, but soon spread around the world. It consists of gentle meditation exercises and a book that teaches how to be a good person. I got a friend that I knew since I was nine years old, something like that, and when he starts practicing, I could notice like a very big difference. He like, start looking more healthy, he, he starts like getting, his skin looks better, everything looks, looks better, and like I got very impressed by it. Practitioner Frederico Vitovic said he also changed for the better after joining his friend to learn the practice. I used to be a very anxious person, have like some symptoms of depression and stuff like that. I used to smoke and drink, and right now like I don't do any of this stuff, and like uh, I don't have like any problems of healthy. I feel healthier than ever. In addition to receiving health benefits, practitioners elevate their moral character by striving to live by the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. I will find myself occasionally getting into argument with my, mother, with my mother. And after learning from DAFA, I realized that I should engage myself on the principles of DAFA, which is to be forbearance and, of course, to be compassionate toward her. After, after the arguments, I would uh, reflect on myself and be regretful about what I did. And gradually, I learned to refrain from talking back. Chen Yan Lee said he learned to not get stressed out about life matters and to just go with nature. People walking on the streets and on their lunch breaks stopped to watch the parade and take pictures. Patricia Dinez says she was a little emotional. Well, I lost my son five and a half years ago. And a lot of people just don't have that kind of compassion, and this is helping relieve some of that tension. It's beautiful. They have signs up about compassion and tolerance, and I'm very, um, I'm a strong believer of compassion and tolerance, so I'm enjoying it. The parade also raises awareness about the persecution of the practice in China. Numerous adherents have died after having their organs removed while they were still alive. I think it's so wonderful that people are able to express their thoughts and they're able to protest um, live uh, organ uh, retrieval from 
innocent people, and I think that's horrible. So it's interesting getting to know what's happening with the persecuted Falun Dafa back in China. Um, so hopefully we'll find out more about it, and they're doing a wonderful job spreading awareness in a way that is interesting and uh, getting people motivated to actually find out about it. The parade route starts at the Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, passing through Times Square and ending at the Chinese consulate. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Elon Musk has named a new CEO for Twitter. She is NBC Universal Advertising Chief Linda Yaccarino. In a tweet today, Musk said that Yaccarino will, quote, focus primarily on business operations while I focus on product design and new technology. He added that he's looking forward to working with Linda to transform this platform into X, the everything app. In a statement, Yaccarino confirmed that she's leaving NBC Universal. She'll start her role as the new Twitter CEO in about six weeks. Musk will be transitioning to executive chair and chief technology officer. And now for your sports news, NTD's Dave Martin has what's going on tonight in the playoffs. That's right, Steph. Plenty of playoff action, including what should be a must-see event on the West Coast. But first on the East Coast, the Heat are up 3-2 on the Knicks and can eliminate them with a win. And then in L.A., a much-anticipated Game 6 as LeBron James and the Lakers had a defending champs on the ropes up 3-2, but need a win tonight over the Warriors at home to avoid a Game 7 on the road. And in the NHL, Toronto trails Florida 3-1 and needs a win at home to stay alive, while Las Vegas hosts Edmonton in a series tied at two games apiece. And finally, for you baseball fans, full slate of games tonight, including a Yankees-Rays matchup with New York sending ace Garrett Cole to the mound, who's off to a blazing start this season. He'll face the league's best team. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.